1: This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. Yes, I know it's Saturday, but we're here to offer you, our listeners a special audio-only version of a new weekly video series called Crypto IRL. That's IRL like in real life. And it's hosted by friends of the show, Katie Greifeld and Tim Stenovic. This is episode two of the series. If you want the full video experience, head over to Bloomberg.com QT or check it out on YouTube.
2: Okay, Tim, it's a new week. You have another silly little story, I understand.
3: How dare you, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. I do have a story. I don't and think it it's happens. a I, this actually happened, yeah. Okay. Like all my stories actually happened.
2: Right, for sure.
3: Okay, so I'm walking to work last week. Fine. Uh, I am about to cross the street, I look up from my phone, mm-hmm. there's a kid in front of me. Okay. And he's wearing a backpack. And okay. on the backpack, it says BlockFi.
2: Really? And
3: I'm thinking to myself, why does this kid have the backpack of, you know, a once very highly valued.
2: You know this sounds fake. It,
3: I have a, I have a picture of this photo. right here because I was like, this is and until insane. Until you
2: said BlockFi, it just sounded like a story. That is a child wearing a BlockFi back. Is that your child? It's not my kid. Okay. This kid
3: is way older. I saw something the other day and I thought to myself, I have to take a picture. I have to show Stacy. <laughs> I already showed Katie. I just want to know what you think when you see this.
1: Oh man, there's a it's a BlockFi it's a backpack that says BlockFi.
3: And it's worn by like a thirteen year old kid. <sighs> <laughs>
1: Well, that person is definitely not a qualified institutional investor. (laughs) Okay.
3: And I'm thinking to myself, why does this guy have a BlockFi backpack? Did Mm -hmm. his parents work at BlockFi and did they get laid off? Was BlockFi just like clearing inventory? Sounds like you
2: really meditated on this.
3: Yeah, I mean, I kind of felt like I was living in some sort of metaphor here. A metaphor. That like, you know, all that's left of BlockFi is this backpack.
2: So I like that you said metaphor because... In a sense, this is all just a convoluted device to get into the next episode, where we're gonna talk about where we're actually going from this moment of destruction. Who are going to be the screeching phoenixes that rise from the fire? And you recorded another little video? I did. Okay.
3: Some legendary businesses have been built in the wake of massive market downturns. Look at Disney. It came of age during the Great Depression. And Airbnb was built after the great recession and the housing crisis. Is the $2 trillion blow up in crypto, is that gonna provide some fertile ground for some revolutionary new company to emerge? One that could completely change the way that the world thinks about finance? Now that we understand how so much crypto wealth just evaporated in a few short months, let's try to understand what happens next. Who's left standing after this historic collapse? What about the lessons that we can learn from the crash? And what about the opportunities? Who are the people out there and the companies that are hunkering down right now and building? And what are they building? What's going to rise out of this? How does the industry earn back the trust of people who were scared sell off in the sell-off? And how will companies have to work with regulators who might not like crypto that much?
2: Yeah. I'm just saying, if I had a block Five backpack, I would absolutely wear it but to work yeah if you saw me in the building with that backpack on i would laugh you would laugh yeah. and that's all i'm trying to do is make stacy <laughs> laugh but we should talk about where we're going because it's a good question you had the block buys and some of the other big lenders and other big success stories really come to their knees this summer and i want to talk about next summer i want to talk about the summer out for that the next few months and years where we're going whether the big players are still going to be the big players or who is trying to rise and rebuild right now
1: or build because it's time to build it is time to build i've, I've heard, heard that, that. yeah I think, I, think we've all heard that. <laughs> I think one of the more interesting things or one of the more interesting questions that is going to absolutely drive the direction of that answer is what's going to happen with regulation and if the, whether it's the SEC or the CFTC in the US or political pressure from other places or whatever the EU and the UK decide they want to do, how they approach who gets to do what mm-hmm. is not just influential, but in some cases deterministic.
2: Well, that's the thing. You just said a lot of letters. Yes, And there's a big letters. question mm-hmm. over who actually regulates the industry going forward. And it feels like that is one of the big hurdles here. Who actually has any
1: sort of say. Our genius colleague, Matt Levine, in Mm -hmm. one of his recent uh, columns pointed out that the answer to the question of who regulates crypto is almost like unknowable, Mm -hmm. right? Because on the one hand, you have the SEC being very assertive about establishing its jurisdiction in certain areas, but mostly doing that through enforcement actions rather than policy. You have a very clear and very public Um, I wouldn't quite describe it as a dispute, but at least a dissent between folks who think the CFTC should have more power in the US. And then you go to places like India, where a lot of that regulation is coming through like tax policy rather Mm -hmm. than anything else. And so even in the US, whether you're thinking about, you know, state level policy, New York, New Jersey have been very aggressive on what they're allowing various bills that are trying to work themselves through the house. If one of the ones that's under consideration passes, you would have to effectively be a bank to issue stable coins. That's gonna have huge consequences for the the circles and the tethers and the big stable coin issuers of the world. So, you know, there are a lot of lawyers making a lot mm-hmm. of money right now, trying to shape the direction of that regulatory conversation.
3: That's like a, that's like an evergreen thing, right? Lawyers, lawyers make money. Lawyers make money. Oh, no, matter, money. Yeah, no matter what happens. What, what about like, this being some sort of inflection point? If we think about,
1: Positively or negatively?
3: Well, I, I don't. I, I think positively because if we think about what happened up till twenty twenty two, you know, it's kind of the wild, wild west, right? The idea of a lot of experimentation and really light touch regulation. And I'm not saying that by any means we've seen any sort of regulation at this point. But is this a different industry now than it was at the beginning of the year? No. Oh.
1: No. Well, well what yeah there are what is some, some people file for bankruptcy? Okay So there's that. Um, there are various folks whose tokens are effectively out of commission. I mean, if, think back a year ago there was a squid game token that turned out to be Ugh. a complete scam. So, Shocking. Uh, so you know so <laughs> I think there have been a lot of ways in which perhaps the less capitalized players or the ones who had, insufficient risk management or due diligence have been like washed out a little bit but the biggest players are still the biggest players and in some ways they're even bigger than at the beginning Mm. of this year
3: you mean like ftx coming in and essentially white knighting the whole industry i love that rescuing everyone
1: that is the narrative
3: but i don't look at them the same way that i look at the players that went under
1: Mm -hmm. why
3: uh well for one it's an exchange
1: with many other businesses that aren't exchanges. Which haven't gone under. I feel like that's the big difference. Yeah, it
3: doesn't seem like they had the same exposure to counterparty risk that, you know, the Celsius's, Voyager's, well, and BlockFi's had.
1: All of those people that you mentioned were among their various counterparties. I think what, what you're seeing is who are the people who either managed that exposure better than others or were better capitalized in the event that one of those counterparties blew up. And so, you know, for me, the bigger question is like the, the tier two, the sort of, Infrastructure players, people who, you know, like maybe a couple of billion dollars in transactions at a time, mostly a retail customer base flying slightly under the radar, they're the ones that have really been popping up with like, oh, we're seizing withdrawals. And you're like, wait, I've never heard of you. Like, what's going on here? Uh, And I think that part of the market, while we'll continue to have shakeouts there, I don't see the big players changing anything drastically other than perhaps more land grabs.
3: Okay, so if you're talking about these tier one institutions coming in and being the white knight and sort of a a process of consolidation then i'm thinking to myself this is totally the antithesis of the promise of crypto Mm -hmm. decentralization but what i'm hearing right now and what i'm seeing right now is that big well-capitalized firms are coming in they're buying up the dregs the shadows of what's left from companies and in that sense they're getting bigger Mm -hmm. so what we see on the other side of this is a consolidation that actually makes a fewer number of institutions much bigger and much more powerful. That is the That runs counter to the promise of crypto.
1: Well, if I were a Bitcoin maximalist, which to be clear I'm not, um, okay. but if I were a Bitcoin maximalist, one of the things I would point out is none of those companies affect what happens to Bitcoin, right? Like there are going to be people who will say... Sure, but at the blockchain layer, at the protocol layer, at the the level of indie developers who are still in Ukraine trying to build interesting things, is like bombs fall around them. But it is also true that one of the things that happens when you have a crisis or a shakeup or the prospect of looming regulation is you do have consolidation and you do have concentration.
2: Is there anyone who's building and hasn't yet been acquired? I mean, to go back to that narrative that we've discussed a few times that it's time to build, uh, very popular on Twitter... <laughs>
1: Who is building right now? Just are there... not
3: in my backyard. Do not build in my backyard.
1: <laughs> All right, Mr. NIMBY. Um, I think that where folks are really paying attention is some of the, like, say the DeFi protocol-y type things with names like Uniswap and SushiSwap. Mm-hmm. Um, I think folks are looking at the potential of... They are large, but they are an interesting part of the ecosystem, like the Yuga Labs of the world, which went from, hey, we have some apes in a collection, to, hey, we're going to acquire various other NFT-type collections and companies, to, hey, we're signing deals with Hollywood and the music industry. And I think when you have that sort of, we were pure play crypto, but now we're extending into mass media, lifestyle, entertainment, you give opportunities for other folks who are like, oh, here's a new place for me to play that didn't necessarily exist before. And, you know, one of my favorite types of coverage is when we find actual individuals or like the small mid-size of the market who are able to be like, I am going to make a different kind of art gallery or, you mm. know, I'm somebody working in um, fashion who is able to do interesting things or I'm a designer making virtual clothes and avatars for the metas of the world. I'm like, that's cool.
3: So, did, so. Do we have any sort of vision of the future where we see the technology that's being experimented experimented with right now and then we start to see that in everyday items, in everyday life?
1: If you talk to people about crypto long enough, eventually you'll hear the phrase, well, the underlying technology. And at that point, you just like, take a shot.
3: I I think she just said it's time
1: to build. I literally did not say it's time to build, (laughs) but fine. That's what (laughs) we heard.
3: (laughs) Nick, it's awesome to see
4: you. It's great to be here. Thank you for including me on the new show. Right, I like gen- your hair. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.
3: yeah, it does. It does look good. Uh, your general partner at Castle Island Ventures. You guys just raised what, two hundred fifty million for your third round earlier this year. Okay, cool. So you're like the perfect guy to talk to about this stuff. I, I got to tell you, I feel like at this point, we've been hearing about the promises of the blockchain. God, for, seems like for the better part of a decade at this point. Uh, a, a part, though, and and like and crypto too. But to me, apart from making a few people just fabulously wealthy, I still haven't seen how this technology has actually made our lives better.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think a lot of the promises were pretty vacuous, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, I can't sort of endorse things that you know, my predecessors may have said, but uh, you know, the core thing, the number one thing we were endeavoring to solve as an industry was alternative monetary systems. Uh, those have been built, those exist, whether or not they're going to achieve the penetration, the you know, crypto acolytes think they might, that's an open question. We'll see. I think that depends on what happens in sort of the real world with the you know, um, you know, currency crises and things like that. Um, there is sort of the Web3 space, which I would say we're seeing real, uh, actual, world, real world use cases, which are emerging, which are fairly interesting. Um, and then the last thing I would point out would be stable coins. To me, that is something that a lot of early crypto people didn't understand, didn't necessarily even want. They didn't seek to build that. But those are actually, you know, proved to be the first killer app of crypto.
1: So you
2: use a lot of my favorite words between stable coins and Web3, but I want to start with one of the first things you said, which is alternative money systems. And this is something that we actually talk about a lot. And uh, truly we do. So, I guess we hear about crypto a lot as an investment rather than a utility. Yeah. And when you say that, I mean, this problem that it has been trying to solve, leaving aside all the bad promises that were made by some of your predecessors, the alternative money system, I mean, does crypto have to be a utility?
4: Does it need to be used transactionally? Yeah. Um, I think any monetary good. Um, satisfies all the all the qualities of money. So, um, yeah, there should definitely be transactional use. What we're seeing is the decoupling between uh, sort of like crypto commodities like Bitcoin and Ether, which are you they have a lower velocity, and then versus stables, which are used um, as a medium of exchange, almost as a collateral type, and empirically they have higher velocities. So it's almost like that first idea that crypto assets like Bitcoin would be used transactionally, that's not really proven to be the case.
3: Why is that though? I mean,
4: because th- if you think back to what, like 2017, 2018, every
3: few months there was this new news item, right? Every few days, actually, it was like, oh, so-and-so company is, start- is accepting crypto, and then you'd see the price of Bitcoin go up. It was actually, this company's accepting Bitcoin, then the price of Bitcoin would go up. And you know, Tesla was like, oh, we're gonna start accepting Bitcoin yeah. until, until they didn't. W- why didn't that stick?
4: That was kind of, you know, I don't, I think it just doesn't really actually make that much sense to use a volatile crypto asset transactionally for the reason that the U.S. asserts the primacy of the dollar um, from a tax perspective, right? So even relative to foreign currencies, right? If you uh, hold a foreign currency uh, material amount and it appreciates, you are now on the hook for, you have a tax liability, right? So you have to, you know, keep track of that. There's the accounting Um, Overhead. So it's the same with a crypto asset. You have to track your tax basis when you spend it. That is a considerable friction that means that nobody's really willing to conduct commerce uh, in crypto terms. They would rather stay in dollars. Uh, And so that's just a barrier which I don't really see being lifted uh, anytime soon. Why would the government give up the privileged position that the dollar enjoys?
1: This special audio-only episode of Crypto IRL will be right back with more from Katie Greifeld and Tim Stenovic. If you want the full video experience, head to Bloomberg.com slash QT.
0: Okay, I want to talk about regulators.
4: Um, Are you scared? No. Is, is this an industry that can be trusted to regulate itself? It has shown no willingness to regulate itself historically, none whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So um, it's unclear to me what self-regulation would look like.
2: So then how do you as a VC, as an investor, sort of navigate and build a portfolio with that sort of huge question mark overhang, the fact that this industry hasn't shown any willingness to regulate itself, and you have regulators over here making very worried noises, haven't yet really done anything, but made a lot of noise.
4: Um, From the securities regulation standpoint, the SEC has shown no willingness to engage productively with the industry, none whatsoever. What would I have expected? A alternative model for tokens to engage in disclosure for material facts, the same way we have that in the regular, you know, public equity land. But we have seen no signs whatsoever of, you know, legislative moves on that front or the SEC being willing to lay that out.
3: So what are the repercussions of that? Does that mean that we start to see crypto firms increasingly leave the United States because there's no clear regulatory framework?
4: You know, even though the U.S. is kind of challenged from that perspective, there's not that many other jurisdictions that are much better, frankly. People thought Singapore was a safe haven. Proved not to be. The Mm. MAS is just as tough as the SEC, if not worse. Um, People thought Europe might be. Europe has new super aggressive crypto legislation. Uh, The U.S. still maintains the most vibrant capital markets in the world. Obviously, the most venture capital. uh, And, you know, the bulk of activity is still here. My view is stay and engage and uh, fight if necessary, uh, rather than fleeing to some other, uh, you know, tax haven or something like that. Uh, the UK has actually, you know, shown willingness to engage with the industry. Uh, but, you know, I think American startups and, and crypto firms are going to have to, you know, do what they can with the local regulators.
3: So if you could wave a magic wand or, or go to Capitol Hill and write this legislation yourself, I mean, what are, what's a framework that you would want to say,
4: I would codify stable coins uh, and give them access to the central bank directly. That would uh, abate a lot of the questions that people have about their reliability and their ability to be liquid in times of stress. Um, I would give issuers of tokens an ability to acknowledge that they actually are serving as a kind of pseudo equity. I would give these issuers the ability to make the salient disclosures to investors that ought to be made um, and you know, craft a framework uh, such that they could do that. And frankly, I think that the disclosure quality would be better than what we have in public markets with quarterly filings, because in crypto, if your business is an on-chain component, you can get real-time financials, right? You can pull the data literally directly from the blockchain and you can get financials on a per block basis. Um, things are generally more transparent in crypto um, because the cash flows are on chain, uh, and you know public blockchains are inherently transparent.
2: What do you think will actually happen?
4: Um, I think it's likely we do get stablecoin legislation maybe this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the SEC will continue to stonewall us. I would like the CFTC to assert its authority uh, maybe over spot markets. That seems right. A lot of these things look like commodities, uh, so you know it'd be nice if they were able to. Um, you know, win some more uh, discretion there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, Gensler is very ambitious and from his outward public statements, he has not so far appeared willing to engage. And uh, so I think it's gonna be a really tough time the next few, few months and years here.
3: I started off by asking you about the promises of, of, of crypto and the blockchain not necessarily being delivered, at least what we were promised over the last decade. Let's look forward now and, and just think about the next decade. 10 years from now, we're sitting here. What has gotten better in our lives as a result of this technology? Where are we touching it every day?
4: I would say you are looking at an explosion of Web3 consumer. So one I would point out would be uh, social media, communications networks, where the topology, the hierarchy is much flatter. So you as the owner of your credentials can choose to engage with a You know, particular platform, you have free entry and free exit. So it's like I
3: take my followers from Twitter to a new site.
4: Because you own your identity, right? Literally. What is that
3: identity? What do I own of that identity? Like every tweet I've ever Um, ever sent?
4: um, I would imagine a world where basically the specific platforms become much less empowered relative to the users, and we're not worried about. Twitter's governance policies, or their censorship mm. policies, or Facebook's, um, because there's so many more competing platforms, because the costs of exit and entry are much lower, um, and so I think that's an overall better situation because now you can opt in to whatever platform with whatever, whatever rules you want. Uh, arguably, that's a much better situa- situation, and we don't have you know the situation where governments are trying to use these platforms as choke points to gain informational control. They're not trying to influence the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world.
2: And so I want to talk a little bit more about Web3, though, uh, because I like that you're excited, but I want to be cynical. And I mean, to your point about the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, a cynical person might say that when you think about Web3, it's probably going to be built by the same guys who built Web2. That I, I know it's a the ideal is that it's going to take power away from these huge social media companies. But realistically, it, wouldn't it be built by sort of the existing companies that are already out there, sort of those big players who already exist? Or do you, do you, who do you see building it? That was a very ineloquently phrased question.
4: Web3 will be built by a new set of entities for the, okay. for the same reason that large companies don't disrupt themselves. They don't have the institutional ability to make wholesale pivots. Facebook may be an exception, frankly, because Zuckerberg does exercise a lot of control there and he's pivoting hard into the metaverse. So we'll see what he can do there. But generally speaking, large incumbents that are established, their incentive is not to experiment and disrupt themselves. Uh, And so I think it would be a new set of entities that are much more open-minded I'm much more willing to support natively open systems, which is what uh, Web3 or blockchains get you—is interoperability. None of these uh, large, uh, you know, social internet platforms want interoperability. They want to lock you in. They want to create a walled garden, right? You cannot leave Twitter with your followers, or leave Facebook. I don't even know how Facebook works. I've been using it forever. Uh, and you know, I think that's just a fundamentally much better model. Nick Carter, thanks for coming to New York. My pleasure. Thank you. What did you learn?
2: I actually knew all of that, so I didn't learn anything because I'm extremely smart.
4: You knew
3: all of that? Mm-hmm.
2: We didn't even get to seed oils.
3: I know. I did get to talk a little with Nick off camera about yeah. what he eats. Yeah. One meal a day, 8 p.m.
2: That's nuts. He had,
3: had nothing to eat yet.
2: I know that's for longevity purposes. I feel like that's not good for your metabolism.
3: Well, he's going to be laughing when we're dead.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Hopefully soon.
3: <laughs> okay, that's a nice way to end the show.
2: We have more chances.
3: Yeah, this was uh, only episode two. That's true. We'll get you food next time. Thank you. You're so hungry. So hungry.
1: Want to see these episodes of Crypto IRL in video? Check them out on Bloomberg QuickTake at Bloomberg.com slash QT or find Katie and Tim over on YouTube. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, it used to be, all of, say, a year ago, that if you worked on Wall Street and were looking for a change, then a crypto startup was the go-to place to head over to. Now, as prices fall and sentiment declines right along with those prices, These buzzy crypto companies are laying off staff, including those new hires. And what are those staffers doing? Heading right back to where they came from, Wall Street. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net or find us on Twitter, we're at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Tai Butler and Moses Undam. Desta Wanderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. Have a great weekend.